Welcome to A Pint with Shawnee B from a camper van. Yes, a camper van in London. There's This is a first for Shawnee B. It is also an extremely hot day and uh, I'm with my guest in his very own uh, Volkswagen original camper van. One of the things that I've always kind of wanted to uh, have myself and we may talk a little bit about camper vanning if that's a verb. My guest today I'm very excited to speak to because he is one of the British comedy legends going back five decades he's been or four or five decades he's been at the pinnacle of British comedy. He's an actor, he's a musician, he's a writer, he's a TV presenter, he's an all-round renaissance guy, he's also a scientist which we'll get to and he's a guy who if his life lived as anything to go by is someone who believes in taking chances to follow your passion which is what we're all about here. I'm welcoming to the podcast Richard Vranch sir. Thank you very much. What a fantastic introduction, Cracky. Tell me about this camper van that we're in. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, it's. Uh, I've always been a big fan of camper vans. When I was still a teenager, I worked for a little bit one summer mm. with my cousin's fiance, who was an antique dealer up in the mm -hmm. north of England, and he had one of these vans, but not done out to sleep in. It was just an empty van with a big roof rack, and we went around all the auction houses um, buying furniture and selling them, and it was great right. summer summer kind of job. And I've really liked these vans. And since the 80s, the only thing I've ever driven is a VW Type 2 camper van. I used to have the old sort of rusty ones and gone through many. We could do a whole hour on them. Yeah. But, but um, the one I've got now is, is one of the last ones they made in Brazil before they... And he just recently stopped making them. Yeah. They were in production for like 60 odd years. And they're wonderful things. Everyone's got a story. Everyone's got memories. Yeah. Everyone loves them. There's something quite anthropomorphic about them they mm, kind of look like a, a, a there, kitten yeah, yeah, yeah. there's something nice about the, the lights look like eyes and there's yeah. just something about them that you Smile can't put your finger on yeah i do love them a lot so i when i first uh, knew i was going to be interviewing you of course went straight to whose line is it anyway i was a kid growing up and i uh, fancied myself as a comedian i used to i say about myself i wanted to be a stand-up comic until everyone told me to sit down <laughs> you were one of the founders and your dna goes all the way back to when comedy changed in the uk well yeah um the who's line thing is a bit weird i was the musician on the program as people always remember and of course this was 1988 it was mm. 30 years ago and back then there was only four channels here and not everyone even had a video recorder so people watched things when they went out and they chatted about them at work the next yeah. time they saw people so it was a really big uh, impact at the time it got the sort of viewers then that soaps get now because now there's multi-channel and there's games and there's yeah. internet so you know it's not that everyone doesn't tune in at the same time anymore and also because we were there under our own names mm. you know it was Richard Ranch at the people kind of latched yeah, onto us I could remember it, them all yeah. it, it, even more than a soap actor gets kind of typecast or associated with the thing well at least it, it's a character not them though mm. the two get mixed up of course in, in, in the press but the weird thing is I started doing improv way before, way back in the 60s. We did an improvised school play when I was about nine. Wow. And I'd been doing improvisation uh, with Jim Sweeney and Steve Steen, Omelette Broadcasting Company. They, they were kind of the people that really started off in this country as comedy. And then the Comedy Store Players, which is my improv group that works at the Comedy Store every Wednesday and Sunday. We started that in 1985 and we still do it. We were there last night doing it, and it's every Wednesday and Sunday show at 7.30. And, um, in the Guinness Book of Records, it, longest yeah, comedy show With ever. the same cast, the same yeah. Because me and Paul Merton and Josie Lawrence and Neil mm. Malarkey were there right from pretty much the beginning. Yeah. So weirdly, when Whose Line came out, we thought, oh, that'll never work on telly. We've been doing this for years live. Yeah. We kind of, not they hadn't nicked our idea, because you know the ideas are all public domain, the games mm. were all there. Though some of the games we made up. But 
the great trick of whose line was they made it look like a television program by having a set like a game show and a mm -hmm. host and points even though you don't need a host and points no. in fact they get in the way it's what they call a, a bucket if you want to do some comedy that's a bit weird put it in a bucket so it looks like something else and people right. will buy it because of what it looks like so if it looks wow. like a game show people will oh yeah fine yeah. if you just filmed a black box people miming impro and doing stuff yeah. it would look really arty and a bit you know farty frankly mm. and so um it was a very clever thing and because we were introduced as from the comedy store players paul merton from the comedy store players richard branch yeah. yeah. weirdly it turned out to be a really good advert good free advert, advert on the telly yeah. and they still show it in america and all over the world because yeah. i still get little tiny bits of money yeah. and it's still an advert for us so it <laughs> so, so, mean, so even though people get confused because i do the comedy in the live show but i did the music on the tv show it was the best thing for impro that ever happened because it brought mm. it to the public uh, attention and everyone loved it at the time it was something for me when it came I mean, again back in ireland we had two channels but we used to get imported <laughs> from from here but i mean it was something to me when you all met in cambridge and the actual erudition of a lot, like john sessions stephen fry there was a lot well, of people there that were just like this to blow our heads off like how can you go straight from shakespeare uh, well, to this to that and that's a funny thing about where we all came from. actually we all came from different areas Paul Merton was a, a South London boy who gave up a job in the civil service to become a stand-up. Josie was Dartington College of Arts and trained as a director. Me and Tony Slattery had a double act at Cambridge, as you say, in 1981. But even saying, oh, we were from Cambridge, doesn't quite put the finger on us. Because me and Tony were a bit out of place in Cambridge. We were working class boys. And we had a double act because we kind of couldn't believe all the glittering mm. intellects around us. Mm. I mean, not saying we're stupid, but we had to audition for spotty undergraduates to get into the footlights, yeah. me yeah. and Tony. And the people we had to audition for were Stephen Fry, Hugh Laurie and Emma Thompson. Now, I was a graduate student by then, because I was a bit older. And I was, I couldn't believe I had to audition for an undergraduate. And of course, at that time, it was just Stephen, Hugh and Emma. It wasn't who they became. Yeah. And so, so me and Tony felt we kind of broken the mould a bit by not being public school and being a bit common, frankly, mm. for Cambridge. We were, we were common. Yeah. So every, we all actually came to it from different places. But as you just said, comedy was changing. It was the young ones. It was the comedy store opened in 79. Yeah. Alternative comedy, Alexis Sale yeah. and all of that stuff. The thing about Cambridge was, because of the footlights, there was literally a platform. Every week you'd get up and try stuff out. Now in London there wasn't that, so if you were someone like Paul or a working class comic, suddenly there was the comedy store and other comedy clubs, and suddenly they had a platform mm. to stand up and try it out and see if they could do it. So we all came together in the comedy store players from all different backgrounds, and luckily we, there was a Canadian bloke who'd done it before, um, Mike. Mike Myers, yeah. and, and he obviously went on to do you know Wayne's World and shrek and yeah. mike was a brilliant teacher and the weird thing is we'd never where did he pick it up uh, in canada i think you're born with a gene <laughs> you know, like, well, you know, you got second city toronto i mean everyone people in the states and north america kind of do it as a school module these That's days because right. yeah, it's yeah. kind of good for social interaction yeah. it's good for all that and stuff. you do some teaching as well i, I do a bit yeah yeah yeah, yeah. but uh, but mike just just knew his stuff and he came from that sort of dynasty even though he, he had british roots himself and so he, he taught us, and if he hadn't been there, we'd never have learned how to do it. Right. But equally, if he hadn't then had the call to go to America and join Second City, if he hadn't left us to find our own style, I don't think it would have worked either. Yeah. Because when he came back to visit us a few months after, oh my God, since you've, the, all, since, yeah, you've all found well, your way right, of doing it. Right. And that's sometimes the way it works. So it all kind of worked out. Well, that was 86 he left. Mm. He came back to do Edinburgh with us in 86. 
Uh, and then from then on, we kind of found our own style and different people came through the group, like Sandy Toxvig and Jeremy Hardy yeah. and were there for a while and, and then Lee Simpson and later Jim Sweeney and Andy Smart. So that kind of team was kept together. And because of Who's Line, I think there's about 100 improv shows in Edinburgh this year, and there used to be one, and it was yeah. us. <laughs> How many episodes of Who's Line do you know? Amir? Oh, God, it, it was about 180 or 90. Wow. I, I did about 100. I didn't do all of them. I did about 120. But, you know, they still make it in the States. Well, I, they I still make they still the make States one, again, a bit like The Office. It's a very different well, animal. Well, it is, well yeah, because... I mean, Ryan Styles and well, Jeff Groups and all, they're all, they were with you, but they're over there fronting that. Yeah. Like, for some reason... Drew, I don't think well, was thing. I don't know, maybe. Well, there's the, the, that, God, this is really embarrassing. I've forgotten her name, but actually it has a third presenter now, um, a, a female presenter, right. th thank goodness, and female improvising musicians too. And they've got a much better ethnic mix, I'm very pleased to see, on the new American version, which the British right. one never had. Yeah, Colin and uh, Ryan Stiles, as you mm. say, and Greg Proops and... Uh, and um, Wayne, Mike Wayne, Wayne Brady, Mike McShane. Yeah. McShane's coming over this Edinburgh to do Edinburgh oh, right. with, okay. with me and Paul Merton and Lee Simpson. So we'll okay. be doing an improv show. It's, I mean, it's basically the same thing, but it's a slightly different lineup. Paul Merton's Impro Chums will be yeah. at Edinburgh Festival this year. So, But the other great thing about Who's Life That Us was, apart from breaking the ground and giving us a career, was we got to make these American guys. And I, and I would regard Greg and Mike as some of my best friends, mm. and Mike flew over for my wedding, and, right. and I go and visit them there. I love Greg's podcast. Oh, oh, yeah, well, Most intelligent man on the earth. Yeah, the smartest man. Yeah, 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 I think that refers to the suits, but he's also yeah. pretty smart. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, and they're also great guys. I mean, they they're are, proper yeah. Californian I dudes. I mean, yeah. really. It's, he's, it's, he's a one-man battle against Trump at the moment. Oh, God. No, he's... he's shop yeah so yeah so I mean that it was it was great and and but then again it's not the only thing we do Paul yeah. does his stand-up did his TV shows and have I got news mm. for you Josie's an actress and yeah. and and I do I do stand up and bits of weird writing and other odd weird things which you may or may not know about but the great thing is we come back and it's like a family 33 years I've been doing it and it is like a family. It's almost like five-a-side football. We play every Wednesday well, and it's, Sunday. Well, it is, yeah, It's yeah. great that you all keep kept together. Well, it is. It? it keeps you sharp. Yeah. It really keeps you sharp. You know, I'm sure it helps Paul going on TV every week yeah. doing Have I Got News. If yeah. you're in front of a live audience once or twice yeah. a week or doing a tour as we're doing next year, that keeps you sharp. And a lot of TV presenters, well, a lot of people going into comedy now are doing it because they want to make a million like Jimmy yeah. Carr did. Yeah. Now, when we started, there was no career in comedy. No. All the comedy on television, apart from the young ones, was all the old mother-in-law jokes and, 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 and jokes about races and stuff yeah. and so we didn't think oh we're going to get onto the radio maybe do a cut of editors get a tv no mm. we had to actually cut that trail through the jungle yeah. so we did it because we couldn't do anything else yeah, and, I, and I people are doing it as a career move and I'm not sure a lot of them have got their heart in it I mean the vein for you guys runs through Pete and Dudley into Python right it is and, and, yeah. and, and we're, we're of an age where in our time we've been lucky enough to sort of meet some of them and work with know, them which, yeah, which yeah. has been an absolute thrill I, <laughs> I mean really it's just ridiculous um, the, does, does improv get easier when you've been 30 years doing it because on the stage presumably you get triggers and you know oh we can go down this path before well, it, or, or does it, that happen? It does get easier, but not because of triggers. The reason it gets easy is because you realise you don't need the triggers. You okay. trust yourself not to need the triggers. Okay. And actually, <laughs> if there was a trigger, would you purposely jeopardise going down that road? Or would you keep it in... Well, uh, 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 all right, I'll give you an example. If you've got a game based on physical positions, okay, yeah. you get two physical positions from the audience yeah. and you start a scene. If one of those positions is arms outstretched, now, it Jesus. looks... it Exactly, it looks like it. And all the yeah. audience can see it. Now... Yeah. I, in my time, have done 
Jesus uh, mm-hmm. on the cross jokes. And and, and, right. and you do them with, you don't do them nastily, you do them. But the point is, if all the audience can see that, there's a kind of bubble of expectation. So you try and do a Jesus joke you've never done before. Yeah. So what I'm saying is you don't do a joke you've done before. Okay, right. that's where we are. Let's see where it takes us this time. So yeah. in a way, if you don't do it, it's worse than because everyone's kind of expecting yeah. it you've got to burst the bubble I don't like it if a joke comes up that's, that's been done before because I think it's a cheat and also I think if you're watching which I never do I, I think you could tell I think I, I think there'd be a slight disappointment or the, the energy would go or something I think you kind of got to the, the point is we're having fun doing stuff we've not done before yeah. and that's the deal so you don't watch it I find an improv very difficult to watch because when you're doing an improv show you're, you're not on stage the whole time you're at the side watching it enjoying it thinking yeah. oh now I'll jump on yeah but I can't think no don't do that you're not going to jump on you're in the audience you've paid <laughs> so but I still at the end I still have the, I get it and also I, I, I still have the kind of feeling I should be jumping on so I don't enjoy it and I kind of you said um, well you said somewhere I think that you you come off and you don't actually remember what you said you don't when you're really responding to the other person in the moment because it's the moment of the scene it's like when you're on a computer and it's all in the RAM but you haven't pressed save so when you walk off it, it's yeah, gone. Yeah, yeah. You switch you off and it's something. gone. And people say afterwards, oh, that bit with a kangaroo in the cocktail bar. And you go, I've got no idea what you're talking right. about. And 20 minutes before, you were a kangaroo in a cocktail so bar. you're in the zone. <laughs> you're in the zone. And that's, that's, that's when you're doing it right. Maybe an unfair question to spring on you, but maybe you can, come, you can think about it come back to me in a very who's line way. But what's, what's the most, like, the funniest thing that you think, or one of the funniest or most embarrassing things or whatever, thing that went wrong, or just, just some oh, of the wow. stories. That, you get great stories from from the suggestions. The suggestions from the audience right. are the thing we need to, to set us off on our little runs. Glasgow, a notoriously wonderful place to do comedy, as is Dublin, yeah. as is Liverpool, because they're funny. Right. And so you've got to be as funny as them. And yeah. if you are, they'll love you. And if you're not, they'll hate you. Yeah. And that's, anyone will tell you that. Glasgow went on stage. Can I have a, for the next scene, a household object, please? Iron. Huge laugh. And I looked down and my shirt's not ironed. Okay, okay, all right, you can win that. I mean, there's little things like that, you know. They're kind of they're always they're always there. Where did you uh, just let me just do a bit of chronology? How does how did you get into this? Where where are you from? What was your background, family wise? Were you funny in school? No, uh, yes, I I thought I was. (laughs) I didn't have much trouble at school. I could I could do all the exams, and I left school when I was sixteen. Very humble beginnings, very humble, which I don't want to sort of humble brag about, but. So your folks, what were the, what did the uh, folks My mum was worked in a primary school and my dad worked for post office telephones, which became oh. British, you know, go, going up in the early days, going up poles and he was a manager of, of keeping the telephone system wow. working. So, you know, they worked very hard and I was mm. the last of four kids and they worked very hard for their kids. And straight after the war, they had kids. Yeah. And I was very much at the end, a long way after the end. And, and uh, they're not with us anymore. My brother and sister are all kind of retired and stuff. So and we've all done very well because my parents worked very hard to give us education. Yeah. But my education took me to Cambridge. And the thing is, because I was very out of place, I was really had no idea. And I still think there's a, a class thing that I can't get my head around in this country. And people assume because I was at Cambridge, I'm, a, I'm posh and I'm really not. But the only other people in Cambridge I could actually relax with and relate to were the people doing the comedy and the theatre, yeah. Tony Slattery, and despite their different backgrounds, Stephen and Hugh and all the yeah. Footlights people, we had a common language, which was the comedy language, and, and the theatre and going to Edinburgh Festival, 
and the fringe theatre. So they were the people I could actually, ah, you know. Could, were you guys considered like odd or like stupid by a lot of the students kind of thing? Uh, they, they, they you like know, your, well, the, like, the Footlights is, is a Cambridge thing. Yeah. And, and, and if you, look, you, you look at the reviews, you know, of Stephen and Hugh's Footlight shows. Yeah. Well, there's the undergraduate Stephen, Fry and Hugh Laurie, yeah. but I don't think there's a John Cleese among them. No. And I'm sure when John Cleese was there, they were saying, I don't think there's a Peter Cook among them. Yeah, so you yeah, can't yeah. judge people when they're 19 yeah. with the people that went on to be well known. And, and now we're looking back and judging people. But that was it. So I got into it at Cambridge. I had played guitar in folk clubs in the 70s mm -hmm. and done a few jokes between the songs. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people came from that circuit, Jasper Carrot, Billy Connolly, and th there was a yeah, kind of folk musician. Yeah, clubs and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And, and the folk clubs and Room mm -hmm. Above Pubs, which mm -hmm. would now be a comedy club, I guess. Yeah. And so it was going to the Edinburgh Festival and musical skills certainly came in useful at first, but I definitely found that not particularly satisfying because I could do that. I, yeah. I can't read music, but... If you want the mood of music, I can play it for you. And so that's quite useful to a theatre yeah. or a comedy show. You were frustrated stuck behind the piano. Oh, uh, I, 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 I could I, tell from a lot yeah, of the sort of stuff you've yeah, talked about. Yeah, yeah. You were also working in front of Mike every day, right? When they were recording. But that. the weird thing is you can go on and do a two hour show and do one song in it and everyone will talk about the song. Well, it's they, really weird. Or, or also if you're in Edinburgh and you're doing a comedy show and they want to pick a little bit out to put on the radio or something, that's the easiest bit yeah. to pick out because it's self-contained. And also people who don't play music think it's magic. It, it, I thought it was magic. Well, the hoedowns well, and then this oh, and then. Oh, the hoedowns are the same every know, week. But, yeah. but, but, <laughs> but no, but like, it's always like in the style of Barbara yeah, Streisand okay, well, or yeah, something. And you're... But, you're just... ah, no, but the secret is, you see, uh, people, oh, you must be a great... I'm not a great musician. I, I fell great too. <laughs> I can't read music, but I've got a good ear. And less is more simple. It, you were talking about John Sessions. Now, John Sessions, very, very talented, wonderful man. Mm. But I always felt he was trying to appear clever. Yeah, well, my, my, my book is Gabriel Garcia Marquez. Well, okay, hey, great, oh, great. I say, yeah, but no one's read that, mate. No. So, A, a we don't, so, 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 so we don't know if it's right or not. B, yeah. even if it is, we're not going to know. So yeah. we're not going to have. Now, he looked up, I think, to Stephen and Hugh, and he's a great guy, great act. But um, if I was a great musician, it yeah. wouldn't have been as good on Who's Line. Because if a style had come up, I'd have done something so intricate and yeah. clever, clever, that no one would have understood what the fuck I was doing. Yeah, more so, so actually, if it's country and western, okay, country western, I reckon that's three chords. Mm. When I listen to country western, it's three chords. Yeah. And if I play them three chords, it comes over proper but country and western, place. and that's much better than trying to do yeah. something clever. So simplicity in improv is great, because if you try and be too clever or show off or say facts, mm. The audience are a bit intimidated in case they don't know and they feel a little bit, oh, well, I don't know that. You make me feel stupid. Yeah. Keep it simple. That's, that's, that's wisdom is keep it simple. Is there any dressing room spats at the end? Like, oh, for, like they're coming in as like a football team. Oh, each, I gave you no. another place. We, you no, didn't come. In, 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 in the 10 seconds it takes us to step down from the stage and sign for the money, we've forgotten what's happened. Right. Brilliant. Brilliant. Now, the thing, okay, so the, the other thing I want to talk about is your first leap, right? Which was, you, you just talked about your parents there and how they gave you great education. Mm. You ended up becoming a fucking physicist, right? Uh, yeah, well. A scientist. Mm. And you got a job yeah. in a lab, a lab research company. Well, yeah, what it was. Uh, which your parents would have been delighted about. Well, the, oh, they were, of course they were, because it was all the things that they'd wanted. So um, both my brothers and my sister are also very high achievers. So, they did something right, my parents. Uh, but, um, and I suppose I was having to do what my siblings had done and all that business. And 
you kind of try and get approval. So I got my degree and I got my PhD uh, in physics, radiation physics. And But during my PhD, I have to say, I already had my equity card, which is the union acting yeah. card, by doing shows with Tony Slattery, including yeah. some wonderful gigs in Bristol on that theatre boat that was run by Vivian Stanshaw from right, the Bonzo right. Dog Band. Right. We stayed over one night and had a seance with Vivian because the, the boat was haunted right. on Halloween 1984. So I've got great memories. But at that time, I was kind of doing two things. I was doing comedy for money because I had my union card, yeah. but I was also struggling to finish my PhD, which is right. a struggle to finish because I was never there because I was off right. on tour. Or doing yeah. all. And so at the end of that, I was offered a job to be a fellow, which is like a lecturer at Oxford University, St. John's College. Now, that's kind of really weird. What age are you now? 22? Oh, 25, yeah. 25, yeah. Right. yeah. And it's not something you turn down. And also in my head, I'm sort of, you know, this is what you do. This is career. I did it for nine months only, but that was the time that I was in Oxford during the day, driving to London to do my feminist theatre group, The Millies, which is one of the best things I've ever done, with right. three amazing women well, writer-performers. And then drive to Bristol the same night to do a show with Tony and drive back to Oxford in the morning. So okay. it was knackering, and I was nearly crashing the car. And so I thought, one of these things has got to go. I'm not really enjoying being a fellow of an Oxford college and the next youngest one is 80. Indeed. Yeah. I, it, probably. So I've got to give was one Was there up. eye rolling and gnashing of teeth in the family? Oh, completely. Of course. Yeah. Of course. This is, What's it's, he doing? It's a classic story. Yeah. You know, Grow up. Years later, my mum did come and see me when, when I was in Paul Merton's show at the London Palladium. Me and Lee Simpson and Paul Merton did a season, season there in 94. She came to see it and then kind of said, oh, all right then, you know, fair enough. And I'm like, okay, good, <laughs> good, good. That's it. So I think ultimately, if you're happy, but clearly it's a risky thing to go into. But mm. I was very lucky. The reason I went into it is because all when I, that nine months at Oxford, all the people I've mentioned were starting to go off and go into telly and make their first steps. I thought, oh, all my mates are doing it. I could. I didn't, or be left behind. Or, well, yeah, and, and regret not doing it. Yeah. Now, of course, the fact is, as it turns out, in retrospect, they were very talented people. Yeah. And I had no right to say just because they're doing it, I could. Because yeah. I'm nowhere near as talented as them. But because they were all doing it, I thought, yeah, I'll have a go. And, and I've never looked back. And there are certain people in certain groups, like the Comedy Store Players and oh, a list too long to yeah. go into. Tony Saturday, if they hadn't encouraged me and offered me places to stay and offered me jobs, I'd never have done it. Yeah. And I'm grateful to all those people for, for the chances. But you've got to take the risk. Yeah. Like looking back from 2018 to late 80s, early 90s, I was actually making a list here off the top of my head. You know, Rick Mayle, Ed Edmondson, Richard Harry, Stuart Lee, Ben Elton, Alexi, Jack D. All of these guys were, there was a, a wealth of comedy everywhere you looked on television of no. different types. But and I, now I, there's not that. I, I, well, do you know, I think there still is. There's brilliant. I, I think you've got Inside Number Nine. You've got League of Gentlemen Revival. You've got Cat yeah. Arthur Strong. You've got Philomena Kunk. You've got everything Charlie Brooker is, goes near, yeah, yeah. Uh, and Jason Hazley and Joel Morris, his co-writers. Um, I think there's great stuff happening now. Maybe people regard it as a golden age or a lean period because of their own age or perspective. And I think in retrospect, it, it looks a bit better. In the seventies, there was a lot of terrible stuff as well as Morecambe and Wise. Okay, they call it the alternative comedy when that hit. That was putting Morecambe and Wise and the goodies and you know mm. grumbleweeds and all that out of business. But you <laughs> yeah. know, and you were the, but that was part of it. It was a different type of comedy that was the targets observational, I yeah. suppose, yeah. and you know that got a bit tiring after a while. But also, improv was never heard of before then. Well, it, yeah, I mean, there are little examples. You could argue that just a minute, the Nicholas Parsons Radio yeah. Four program is yeah. improv. There was a thing called Impromptu in the 60s with Lance Percival, who was an old Calypso player. Calypso's an old improvised 
Pete and Dunn did a lot of improv Pete work. and Dad did a lot of yeah. improv yeah. Oh, they, yeah. I mean, Pete and Dad. When they tried to make each other laugh in character, that, that's the fucking funny Naughty. Thing. Naughty, <laughs> naughty, naughty, naughty. <laughs> because Pete knew he could do it. <laughs> so, um, the future of comedy, you reckon here is better, not better than, I, than, not people, better. than people think. Is you, you were talking somewhere about the fact that there's a lot less clubs, though. You reckon the clubs are bell curving back downwards, do you? Or? Yeah, it, it's to do with um, government policy and austerity. And this is even before Brexit, it'll get worse. But the jongleurs chain went down. Audiences aren't as easy to pull in now. And this is partly because of competing entertainment which you know mm. game and online and netflix and all this and, and that's that's fine too but comedy is something which i honestly believe is best being in the room where it's live happening agree. same I as agree. sport the and smaller se- the room yeah yeah, yeah. And, and and i'd say there's the same with sport and sex you have yeah. to be there yeah but even one tiny example of this you remember plane travel 20 years ago mm. when the entertainment system wasn't as sophisticated mm. and We'd all be watching the same film at the, the same screen, time. Yeah. And you'd see there was a funny moment in the film and you could see all the heads go forward yeah. and the whole plane would have that laugh. laugh. Yeah. And there's that, that group audience shared experience of laughing at that joke. Yeah. You don't get that on planes no. anymore because everyone's laughing at different yeah. films yeah. at different yeah. Yeah. times. Yeah. And in comedy clubs, it's when the whole room goes, <laughs> and mm. it's that involuntary spasm of laughter, which last night at the comedy, we had, we had a great one. It was Father's Day. And weirdly, improv is a thing which different generations could enjoy. Yeah. We had a lot of kids with parents and grandparents. Right. And we have a surprisingly wide age range yeah. uh, which which is an interesting demographic you can't really advertise to it because it's everybody yeah <laughs> we really do get 18 to 80 in the front row yeah and the way we do it they all happen to laugh at the same things but that moment of a shared spasm of laughter in a room is something even more than music i mean listening to music on an ipod is great seeing a band is great but it's always too loud but that thing about being in a room and watching comedy live is really special i hope live comedy does survive because I think it needs live is where it's at. And that's why I'm happy to keep working live. I don't mind if I never do radio or, or, or telly yeah. again. The odd advert would be nice. But <laughs> you, you, you said somewhere that you, you made at one point in your career a concerted effort to push yourself out there. And you were a little bit surprised. You know, you were, you, it was a pain in the hole. And, it was, and, and actually, it didn't really differ. I mean, I, I'm finding the same thing in my bloody podcast, right? you know twittering it away and then sometimes i don't twitter it one week and it gets just the same number of listeners yeah. and not a few more well it's not not so much that, that I, graft I, element is um see it goes back to that sort of social thing going to cambridge and being completely unaware of you know what a cocktail party was <laughs> um it's like a sitcom but I, I don't think i was ever very good at schmoozing in fact yeah. i think i think when i schmoozed I, I it worked in a negative sense so i think when i stopped doing Meaning. that I think I was just crap at it and right. <laughs> made things worse. So I think so by, by, so by stopping doing that, I think yeah. it's probably better. Be more <laughs> mysterious. <laughs> yeah, let them, yeah, let them come to you. Yeah. Away from uh, comedy, you mentioned Brexit. What, what's your like take on where we're at? Oh, I'm, I'm an old lefty. Right. <laughs> and so I'm not very uh, happy with the way things are going. No, I mean, yeah. And clearly this referendum was fixed. And I'm, I'm an old lefty. And um, uh, it's a shame that Labour are not on an anti-Brexit footing, so I think if they were, they'd get elected. They're kind of half. No, well, I, I, it's very sinister. The people who will benefit from this are very few, and they're the people who've funded the vote, and that really upsets me. Do you see another referendum down the track? No, it's not. In Ireland, we reckon where you're going to have another go and you'll be staying in, because we, we can't, the Northern Ireland thing, we think this is going to trip the whole thing up anyway. You, you well, look at it. Uh, I, 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 I wish, I hope you're right, that's all yeah. I can say. I hope you're right. I, I think we're going to hell in a handcart. Trump, etc. Oh yeah, the whole thing. But it's okay because I, I don't, I do stand up as well as as, yeah. as you know, and um, 
that's where I express all my anger about this. <laughs> are you angry at Sander? No, no, not angry. No. I'm. Uh, but you're quite political in your comedy, are you? No, I'm not. I, I make everything into a joke. Comedians tell the truth, politicians lie. Yeah, that's indeed. always been the case. Indeed, indeed. And in fact, people kind of... Court jester. Yeah, court, the court jester, exactly. Yeah, yeah. The court jester says, the king is stupid, yeah. everybody laughs, the king slaps him and says, don't listen to him, yeah. he's a fool. But it's been said. So and the, the court jester vote, always gets his head hacked off because he goes too far. Exactly. Yeah. And we are the court jesters. When you ask for a suggestion in an impro show, yeah. the audience always shout out things to do with death, toilets and yeah, sex yeah, yeah, yeah. those are the three things they're a bit nervous about and they're not shouting them out to be nasty or to challenge us mm. make these things funny they're saying oh i'm a bit nervous about sex death and toilet yeah. and so they're kind of shouting those yeah. things out so, that, so, so, so that we no, it's so that we can deal with their yeah. stuff on stage so that we can deal with it for yeah. them we're like therapists yeah and it's good for us too because we get to be all those things yeah. on stage but yeah the truth saying thing and the court jester thing I mean, that's where my, where my comedy, like people like Daniel Kitson or Stanhope or, you know, the cliche Bill Hicks and stuff like that. People who actually, it's not like I've got a bunch of guys writing gags for me, like Jimmy Carr or these guys. It's the people who are writing their own stuff and being brave and they're, they're saying the things that no one else will say. Mm. And I think that part of it is, uh, you know, someone like Kitson, who's like, a, he's like a hug, you know, but he does tackle these very, very, serious as you say what the audience is afraid of even confronting yeah things like loneliness puts it up. And, yeah, yeah, yeah 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 loneliness yeah. and you know men who are just depressed and are unable to talk to it but making it funny Stanhope was doing a piece on Saturday about cancer with a cancer patient in the room mm. and he's walking at me too lines and stuff like this you know really dangerous well, I, my stand-up set on Saturday I covered cancer me too and okay. childlessness okay okay All right. great <laughs> Uh, what a fun night out! <laughs> what do you What do you say to the young Richard Branch? If you had to go back and whisper in his ear, would just when he's doing week one in the lab research thing, uh, you did the right thing. Go no, for it. Well, no. the thing is, you know, it's, I know it's, it's a hypothetical. It, it is. If if I went back and changed a thing, then of course my course of action would have been different, and I wouldn't have ended up where I am. And I'm very happy where I am okay. because I do have food on the table. I can afford to go to the off license and buy beer, and I've got an amazing wife. And although there are many other things I've done badly and things I wish I'd done wrong because I've annoyed people, like there's a million people I'd go, I'm yeah, really we all sorry. Do that, yeah, well, but but so so I wouldn't change it. But I didn't realise how good things were. I I kind of I didn't realise how good things were at the time. I don't think we quite realised what we were worth. A lot of people made a lot of money out of us. Even on the Who's Line thing, uh, I had an agent at the time who's no longer with us, but he said, "Oh yeah, yeah Richard, ne next." time they'll let you do the games you know not just the music and oh great okay uh, i don't really want to do it though and and when someone knows you don't want to do something the money goes up and they know you really don't want to do it and i really didn't want yeah. to do it and why so, didn't you want to do it because i was stuck behind the piano okay so i said okay i'm really frustrated doing this and when they know that you, you're going to walk away they oh, say, sorry you didn't want to stay behind the piano. exactly exactly yeah, yeah. So, oh, no, yeah, yeah if you yeah. do it if you do it they've offered you this much yeah. to stay next time and of course that wasn't true the agent was wanted mm. his percentage and so it's like football players yeah well i mean football players back then were getting paid fuck all and they didn't their agents were not doing them today they're saying ronaldo's worth a billion dollars <laughs> there was a there was a maximum wage no yeah yeah i remember <laughs> joe jordan that man united got a thousand a week and he was oh, going <laughs> yeah oh god well a thousand a week still very good i know what about <laughs> you young kids today who want to become comedians because a lot of my listeners are i hope people who are 
not sure of what they want to do and maybe a lot of the people I've spoken to are people who, who were pushed down a path and didn't do it and that's been the difference God, I don't know I mean you know I was talking about, about platforms earlier what I said was the reason that TV and radio in Britain was dominated by footlights and university type people was because they happened to have a comedy club where every week you got up and failed and got better and got better and got better so mm. after three years of that you were ahead of someone and the platforms increased when the comedy store and the London clubs and around the country and jonglers opened. Now, everybody's got a platform because it's your phone, because you can record yourself yeah. and put it online. Yeah. So actually, everyone can do it. Not everyone can be good. And yeah. that's statistic. I mean, I, I don't know what percentage of people are good and bad, but there is now an opportunity. Anyone pretty much who's got access or a friend who's got a phone, and that's most people I reckon, can actually do it, look at it, show people, Get a response. Make money from YouTube. Well, I don't know if that's ever it's possible, just, but, yeah. but but the thing is you can look at yourself and see what you did, yeah. or you can get your friends to look, or even some strangers if you put it online. Yeah. And so, weirdly, everyone's got a chance now. My but, father was a very famous ventriloquist. Oh, really? Yeah. He, oh, now that's an amazing he, profession, the he, psychology he, of that. He opened, well, try and be the son of one. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm sorry so you can was, sit down. Yeah. <laughs> he, he was, but he, he was self-taught. Made his own dummies out of papier-mâché. Wow. Trained in the mirror. Opened RT and, and won a sort of a, uh, got to the final of the original <laughs> gong show sponsored by Geritol in 1958. And he's, a, I'll send you, he's a recent guest on my podcast with his dummy. Oh, uh, so we, the three of us are in the room technically, but yeah. But again, for him, even in the in the in the I guess forties, right? You know, when he first got bitten by the ventriloquist bug, it, you know, it was all it's it's about do, you know. Whereas people, I I think, and we have more. Every single piece of com comedy you ever want to watch is in your phone pocket if you want to study the the form, mm -hmm. right? Because when you know when I was growing up, it was like, as you said, whose line is it anyway? We'd be getting ten million viewers probably in in the in the UK. Now we can find it all when, at, the, yeah. at the press of a rubbery, it's, it's, it's a rubbery on button. video on demand. Yeah, because I, I, I get a few p through. It's very yeah. good. Anyway, <laughs> but that ventriloquism is very yeah. interesting because it's kind of scary. A lot of people get freaked out by it. Because yeah. the, the whole thing about, especially stand-ups, and of course, stand-up is the the vogue. People think comedy equals stand-up. Mm -hmm. When I was growing up. There wasn't much stand-up. There were the old guys on the telly. But the Edinburgh Festival, when I first went, the first four or five years I did Edinburgh, the number of stand-ups at the Edinburgh Fringe was zero. There wasn't a stand-up there till 83, yeah. 84. I remember Sean and, and, Hughes won one year, Lord rest him. Uh, he, he won about 89 or 88, didn't he? I think the Perrier Award. Yes, he, he was the first solo person yeah. to win it. That's a very good point, because when the Perrier Award was created in 1981 because there was no stand-up in Edinburgh yeah. until years later. It was called the Award for the Best Review UE at the Fringe because there were only sketch shows. And we won it the first year I was in the band that year. Yeah. What was that show about? Uh, that show was the Salad Tapes and that was okay, Stephen okay. Hughes. So it was a Tony. bunch of, a bunch of uh, ske sketches. Yeah, the, 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 it, it was a sketch show which eventually ended up a version on television. Okay. An old producer came to came to see us in the uh, Fringe Club called Dennis Main Wilson that used to work in the 50s with like Hancock and the Goons and all that. Yeah. Dennis Main Wilson, in the same way that people might ask it, oh God, it's Steve. Oh God, it's Steve Coogan, you know. Yeah. This is the guy that produced the Goons kind of thing. Yeah, all, yeah. All, and the it goes back to all those early days of post-war comedy anyway so he put it on the television but it, that was Stephen Hugh Emma Penny Dwyer 
Paul Shearer and Tony Slattery. So when people say they're in, the first female winner of the Perry Award was Jenny Eclairs. No, the first winner was the first year. There were two of them because yeah. the, the award is always for the show, not the individual. So when Steve Coogan won it, it was for the show with John Thompson. Right. When Arnold Brown won it, the show Brown Blues won it. So right. it was Michael Parker, Barb Younger and Arnold Brown. So two women won the Perrier the very first year. That's what I'm talking about, the confusion yeah. between comedy equals stand-up. Yeah. Yes, Sean Hughes might have been the youngest solo winner of the Perry Award, mm. but he wasn't. The youngest winner of the Perry Award was Tony Slattery. Right, OK. Um, is Tony pe- doing pe- all right at the moment? Yeah, he's, still- he's fine. He's actually going to Edinburgh this year. I, Great. Re- I recently did some improv shows with him in London. Great. And, I mean, given that we did our first... We had an hour in 1981. We were called Iris Murdoch versus the Smog Monster. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and whenever we meet, we still giggle like... 20 year olds is the fact any that chance of you guys getting it back on and doing it? Well, I'm not sure we've got the brain cells left to, remem- to remember our scripts. But we'll improvise together for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no, it, and the thing is, I mean, Tony is just an amazingly talented man. And you were saying about he's that, he's so vulnerable. And I know he had a, he had a problem, but I mean, he's, he's, he's he, such he, a nice guy, you know. He, yes, well, I, I totally agree with you. He's spoken about vulnerabilities himself, so yeah. I, I, I don't need to speak for that. Yeah. But the fact is, he is multi-talented. Yeah. He actually had a, a film programme on the TV, and he was an actor, and he was yeah. in West End musicals, uh, nominated for an Olivier Award for a West End play, quite apart from his film acting and his yeah. comedy and his yeah. impro and other things. Now, the trouble is, you were saying how mad it was in those days of, of mm. when the comedy changed. Everyone wanted a piece of you, and, and so he said, yeah, great. Crazy, so, yeah. so then everyone started to get picky about, oh, he's on it all the time. Well... If you were offered all that, wouldn't you do it? And and, yeah. and and so I think people were a bit they sort of turned on him a bit, and that was a bit unfair. But he is a great, a great guy. And 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 you know, when he in an impro show, when he opens his mouth and sings, you think, oh god, this is just angelic, and he's he's still got all that stuff. Yeah, and he's got this great twinkle in his eye. Oh god, yes. What's your <laughs> next ten years looking like? What do you what do you have, you have you anything that you want to do that you haven't done yet? Because you're when I read your. <laughs> If you go to richardranch.com and just read all the things Richard has done that we haven't touched on today, it is as long as your arm. And I was amazed in, uh, in my research about all, all that you've done. Because you've actually covered nearly every base. From, <laughs> well, from, you're very gen- I'm not really. There's loads of things. Well, no, you've been in movies and you've written well, things. You, I've, done, I've, never, done I've never been in a movie, weirdly. That, I've, I would love to be in a movie. I was a huge fan of Woody Allen. I know Woody Allen has been disgraced in everything but in court. And like, uh, and but, I, but those bananas, love and death, and uh, I know, I know, his earlier tree, funny stuff they as, were as they say. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Stardust Memories is still yeah, my yeah, favourite. Yeah, when yeah. the aliens say, "We loved your earlier funny films." Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's like, they all the New York ones all blend into each other with the yeah, same yeah. actors, and you, you can't remember who so, was who. But so yeah. I, I wish you to have a sort of showbiz ambition of being in a Woody Allen film, but I'm not sure if you're allowed to say that anymore. But, uh, <laughs> but if, if if it turns out he's all right, I'll I'll, I'll do that. But probably not. I'd love to be in a movie. I'd love to do a live work abroad. I've done about 40 countries. Improv works really well abroad. Stephen Frost, the big, tall, eyebrowed maestro, maestro, a wonderful man. But he is a comedy genius, comedy god, comedy legend. And and he takes a group of improvisers around the world. And we've done China and Hong Kong many, many times and weird places. You've done stuff in French. I've done a bit of stand-up in French, yeah. But but, but we do improv in English. But the weird thing is, because we haven't said it before... When you hear something from the other actor on stage, a lot of your reaction to it isn't just verbal, but physical, because you've never heard it before. Now, 
the best actor on the West End stage doing the mousetrap isn't going to hear that line like he's never heard it before. Yeah. He's just going to say his line. So yeah. weirdly, even if the audience haven't got great English, the n nature of what's happening in the scene yeah. comes over. So improv travels well. And to travel and work is an absolute privilege. Yeah. And to do more of that would be great. Yeah. To do more stuff on my own traveling and working would be great. At stand-up particularly, and, and, and doing stuff in French or... I also worked in a, a sketch group called English Teaching Theatre with Doug Case and Ken Wilson. And they wrote textbooks for English language learners. But because they knew about how language works, oh. the scripted sketches were very accessible to someone in a f where English wasn't their first language in right. the way that I could probably, with my O-level French, understand yeah. a similarly written yeah. uh, French sketch. And to go and do stuff in a foreign language is... Re uh, well, Eddie Izzard, like... Eddie Izzard's great. He does, yeah, he's... he's he Incroyable. Yeah, he is. And, <laughs> and, and the same word about eight, eight other languages. No, he's... Well, he's... And also a great improviser. Yeah, yeah. He's, and, and Ross... You've worked with him as well. Yeah, well, yeah, 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 yeah. And Ross Noble is... Ross Noble. Now, he's yeah, a rarity. He does it on his own. Yeah, I know. I he goes on guy. stage and... But again, also, this is, there's, there's a, a lot of those guys who who hit became really big and obviously they got fat off the land because you don't really see them around as much anymore is that was that what happened or no, they... Ross is constantly touring right he doesn't spends a lot of time in Australia as well and, very and, and that's tours what I saw well. first yeah, yeah uh, I lived uh, there for a bit. oh wow yeah. I think he did too yeah. and um and Eddie is like one of the motorbike where there's a kangaroo and he thinks he can kick it out of the way. <laughs> God. <laughs> well, he loves his vehicles. <laughs> no, he's a diamond geezer and started off when he was so young in Dave John's yeah. club up in the yeah. northeast. Well, Dave John's. So people like Lee Evans who, you know, can, well, he, well, a bit one-dimensional, but he comes and goes. Oh, no, well, I think Lee, Lee Evans is... is extraordinary yeah. and the energy that yeah. he puts into every second of his performance which I'm not interviewing him in here the place of the water <laughs> <laughs> you'll look back on this as a golden age of comedy and just just you know chandelier falling down okay we've seen that that was a good joke but there's stuff going out now which is great and and half of it I haven't seen there's lots of series I hear about that I've not even got no, into yet I mean no. I, I hardly touched on in between us fleabag was an amazing oh my god fleabag okay. oh um i'll write it down yeah, yeah. um phoebe uh, waller bridge i think her name is uh, yeah that's right uh, she is just astonishing yeah. and, and there are so many other little things like that, that that are coming through does that kind of idea of you know hitting a series for netflix strike anything with you mm -hmm. it seems uh, no, well, okay there's another big thing that's changed the privacy issue I've been very lucky because my sort of trajectory has been, I've been, you know, the sidekick of the Who's Line people, the yeah. sidekick of Tony Stattery, even though that was a double act. You know, I've worked with Paul Merton a lot, scripted and non-scripted. But I've never been particularly that famous myself mm. that the sun has bothered to hack my phone or go yeah. through my bin. Not that they'd find anything, yeah, frankly, because I, I don't do it. So I don't actually want to be famous. And the yeah. more I go on and the more I see how difficult that has been for yeah. people yeah. I know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I really... Um, I don't want to retire because I'd go mad. I'm doing impro twice a week, is, I yeah. need that safety valve. But that is enough for me. And if yeah. anything else comes along, it's a bonus. I'm not particularly ambitious. In fact, in my head, I retired about six years ago and stopped schmoozing. And, and it's great. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure. One of my friends said to me. One of my friends said to me, "I'm the only guy he knows whose forward financial planning is based on early death." <laughs> but I'm like, okay, because well, <laughs> I've had a well, ball as well. Well, that's the other thing. I mean, I, I know I'm sort of I'm 60 next year, and I'm thinking, slow down a bit, but I'm not. 
keep making them laugh. This, this podcast will be coming out the day after his 59th birthday. Oh, Wish God. him a happy birthday. Yeah, yeah. Go on to his website, hire him, give him work on film. He's a great lad. Thank you very much for being on a pint with Shawnee B. And I don't think I'll ever do a pint with Shawnee B from a camper down. Good luck. Thank you. Oh, no, 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 no.